What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, Dance Medicine with Dr. Jatin Mbigankar. I meant to check that with you before we got started. How did I do there, Jatin? Perfect. Nailed it. Thank you so much. <laughs> we are live here at the Dragonfly Max Podcast Lounge here in Las Vegas for NATA 2019. I am your guest host, Sarah Gill. Uh, jump in the conversation at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Jatin. That's J-A-T-I-N. Uh, so I will get into my very professional introduction of Jatin here in a second. Um, I'm still just sort of excited to see him. Uh, so we're just going to be smiling at each other a lot here for a minute. Um, he's been running around. He, he just joined us. So we're going to kind of ramp up gradually here. But I do want to give him his nice professional introduction. So uh, Dr. Jatin Mbigankar is a certified athletic trainer, strength and conditioning specialist, and occupational therapist. He's the co-founder, excuse me, co-director uh, of the Sports Medicine Assessment Research and Testing Laboratory at George Mason University. Serves on the board of directors for the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science. He also leads the SHARE. You got a bunch of great acronyms here, oh, uh, Jatin. Right? It's really good. <laughs> uh, supporting Healthy Arts Research Consortium. Uh, so just involved in a lot of different things in George Mason. Um, he is um, uh, also co-founded the South Asian Dance Medicine and Science Association uh, to help improve the health, well-being, and fitness of South Asian dancers. Um, his research mostly focuses on promoting health-related quality of life for individuals across the lifespan, understanding lower body uh, injury risk factors, and decreasing injury risk and uh, increasing performance, uh, specifically for performing arts. So, Jatin, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for sitting down and chatting with me. Um, how's your day going so far here at NATA? Thanks, Hera. It was. It's going great it's it's good to see colleagues it's good to see people you who meet all year long and just yeah. kind of network and and it's a good place to be here absolutely um kind of like the last time i was i was able to be on here i i mostly uh show up here to just bring my my friends that i don't and colleagues that i don't get to see very often uh on to chat and sort of see what they've been up to uh dive into some of the really interesting different areas that, that they pursue in athletic training um, I first met Jatin when he was pursuing his uh, doctorate at UNCG, correct? Mm -hmm. That's what you were working yep, on at that absolutely. point? Absolutely, yep. Now, you were involved in dance medicine at that time. Is that sort of where this all started for you, or is this something you've had an interest in for a while? No, so I think uh, when I was at G Greensboro where we were together, I think uh, 2003 before that, I had no previous experience working with this group. Uh, but then when I went and worked with them at Greensboro where I uh, uh, help set up the dance medicine clinic with them and you were there seeing it evolve and seeing it develop it's just the joy I got working with them and I have never looked back since and that it's been a great it's been a great uh, career uh, path for me since that point in time I mean I, I had the opportunity to listen to your talk obviously uh, yesterday that was that was fantastic and what I, I think what I enjoyed most about that is just seeing the different um, areas that you've been able to sort of take this down um, just kind of for context. I mean, when you were starting that program or working with that program at UNCG, the reason we got to know so much about what you were doing is that you were sort of honing in on our little athletic trainer's lab. Uh, <laughs> yes. That was your athletic training room, like a little corner of what was already a pretty small space. And now what you've developed at George Mason is this expansive research-based, I mean, uh, I mean, you've got a lot going on. Can, can you talk a little bit about what exactly you guys are doing at George Mason? Because um, it's a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I know. Uh, so you're absolutely right. I, uh, when we started, we had a small corner of one closet uh, kind of space with the student uh, lounge that, you know, you you, you and your... Home uh, away from home. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, we we lived there, right, for a little bit. Uh, 
And so when we came, when I came to George Mason in 2007, we had a strong dance program, but really no healthcare support. And so it's it's uh, it's been it's taken a few years, uh, but we got there. And so we uh, uh, first put in a proposal uh, to kind of develop something. And similarly, we got some funding for a graduate student to start working with dance medicine. Uh, and again, a, a small closet space. And I think one, one of the things that we did, and that's something I think I strongly believe in documentation, 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 right? So we were able to kind of uh, document what we did with Encounter and kind of make the case to the central administration that this, this deserved uh, a bigger place in the in the uh, visibility and uh, uh, support that it required to make it happen. And so then uh, three years after that, we actually were able to put in a proposal and the provost's office came ahead and, uh, you know, we started working on some plans to kind of develop a, a, a wellness clinic sort of a thing for dancers and performing artists at the university. And uh, uh, it was eventually uh, turned into a full 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 time position. And uh, so that was like the clinical arm of that process. And in, in conjunction with that, my research uh, was in that area. And so that those kind of fed off of each other. And so now we have uh, doctoral students, full-time athletic trainers, master's students, all kind wow. of working together in this uh, 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 nice little place together, working across different genres of dance within the university and trying to really see what we can do to help these aesthetic athletes as I like to call them get better yeah I that was actually a note that I took from your talk yesterday I just I really like that that phrasing of it these are uh, is, uh dance is an aesthetically pleasing physical activity you yeah. know so typically when we're working with athletes you know it's cool when it looks cool but that's not necessarily the the goal I mean we love <laughs> I mean we're all watching soccer right now you know we we love a, a beautiful play but that's not that's not what they're going for that doesn't actually help them but when you're dealing with dancers and performing artists that's that's the thing. I mean, yeah. they, they, they not only need to be able to um, perform the skill, but perform it in a, in, in a very specific visual way. Um, how does that aspect of working with these athletes and their injuries sort of impact and shape um, how you work with these guys? Yeah, and that's, that's a fantastic question, right? I mean, and so uh, uh, when we really think of athletes in the traditional sense, right, I don't care how... Uh, uh, Kobe or anybody jumps up and dunks. I don't care how he or she looks, right? But but with this group, you really have to be keeping the aesthetic clean when you perform. And so when we really talk to uh, uh, athletic trainers and students, we ask them to kind of think about what it is going to take for this person to reach their max without breaking their game face, right? And that game face has got to look pretty. Uh, and, and what do we need to design for them to know some signals to reach when they think that they cannot perform to that place anymore, right? So we're not reaching for the maximal fatigue limit, right? We're teaching them to recognize before that hits because once that starts to hit, you can control your outside face. And we try to ask the students to kind of look out for the dancers when, or the performing artists, when that is going to happen and make themselves aware so that they know it's coming if it's coming. Hopefully not but they are at least aware of, of stopping before it reaches the point of no return. Right. That's so interesting. I mean, how often do we look at, you know, like a typical sports athlete and look at their faces and, and see the grimace or see the exertion. And that's, yeah. that's desirable. <laughs> yeah. right? Like we're, we're impressed by that. But a, but a dancer not only has to 
control their body, but but yeah, control that face presentation. It it, it needs to look effortless and easy, and that's that's yeah. another thing that you guys are are tasked with. Yeah. Um, kind of along those lines, I I'm very interested in in the concept of um, we as athletic trainers are, are really tasked with helping athletes make a decision about what they can and can't do, mm-hmm. what is appropriate to push through, what is appropriate to um, to kind of deal with, and then and then when is it time to to back off, rest, take time off. Um, can you talk about a little bit of the the difference between how we might approach that with a with an athlete and uh, like a like a traditional sports athlete, excuse me, mm-hmm. and, and a dancer? Like um, they train constantly. Like sure. like you were saying yesterday, they have no off season. Yeah. Um, they train almost every day. So, you know, and it's 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 uh, artistic expression, it's mm-hmm. passion, it's all the kind of the same things that in a, in the sports world, but in a slightly different mentality. So, I guess what I'm getting at is just you know how do you approach it when you're trying to convince these performers what they can and can't push through how do you uh, um, deal with them when it comes to time to shut down or rest sure that sure. balance and is it different than working with say like a soccer player or cross-country runner uh so i i, I think i'll answer a couple of parts of that question because that's uh, uh, again good question right just <laughs> my question had a lot of parts <laughs> <laughs> I do that no, uh, so so the so the the first thing is is completely true in that they need to recognize when 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 it is coming to a place where it is not good right so uh what we try to stress with them is the basic five signs of inflammation right the ruber calor dolor tumor functional heat swelling redness right uh uh uh, uh and uh, loss of function and pain and so we have a very very kind of take it down to non non scientific level where if you have 3 out of 5 of these symptoms or signs on yourself like you're hurting and it's swelled up or it looks red you stop right and so just making them aware over and over at least at least start with that right because you really don't they really don't have if you're an athletics traditionally you've been associated at least at least here uh, at the high school level at the collegiate level with some kind of healthcare professional who's taking care of you but for these people uh, uh, there really is very few places there research is only 28% of them actually have specific healthcare access so they really aren't even aware of some of these things so it's like the, just raising that basic level of awareness that that you know if 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 3 out of these 5 are are talking to you let's try let's try and see somebody and then once they get the message that we are coming it from a good place they are much more willing to buy in so that that's i think has been a very very easy building tool up for that the, trust yeah, kind exactly. of just that we're not just going to we're not just going to shut you down for no reason we're not going to take away this thing you like we're going to have something objective that you can also look at and, and that's recognize. That's exactly that's empowering them, right? Basically, we are empowering them mm-hmm. to kind of listen to their own bodies. As as filmy as that sounds, they need to be able to understand what it's their the body middle. is telling them. And and once they get that, it becomes easier, kind of, for them to kind of reach out to athletic trainers uh, when they when they are in need. Um, kind of along those same lines, how is your interaction with uh, choreographers, instructors, teachers? Um, you know. I'm a little bit more familiar with that coach sure. relationship. Um, <laughs> can you kind of compare, uh, compare and contrast that for us? Like what, what is your, as, as a healthcare provider, sort of what's your interaction with those instructors and, and is it a different approach than, you know, kind of. Our yeah. So, so coaches? I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the coaches being to athletes, the same way the choreographers or teachers are to these dancers. Right. Uh, so oftentimes uh, uh, there is a much more, uh, uh, 
much more stronger power dynamic there, right? And so they trust their teacher. They're going to listen to their teacher before anybody else in terms of healthcare because they think that their teacher knows more and it's just because they haven't been exposed to healthcare professionals. So again, it's, I think that buy-in from uh, the teacher and sometimes when you're in dance school and we did some research looking at health-related information that's provided in dance majors or dance programs, again, dance teachers aren't taught what healthy behaviors necessarily right. are. And so those expectations are as part of your educational process as well. Yeah, okay. yeah. So they need to, that needs to get translated to them and once that and if that translates to the teachers, choreographers, then it automatically comes down, right? So I, I remember distinctly this case of uh, a dance teacher who wanted her uh, uh, dance, this she's choreographing a dance, and they wanted uh, to check how high this they, their dancer could land off of, and uh, they wanted to check what was safe. And I was like, oh, there is no bad safe or a good safe. What do you really want to do, right? Because they want to push the envelope of, right. of craziness in terms of beautiful choreography but they need to understand physiologically the body has a limit and we try to hopefully get to that that place where they understand that that's there that's really interesting um i want to hear more about this smart lab uh, sure so i mean <laughs> you, you shared some pretty cool photos um talked a little bit about the stuff you're studying you're you've obviously you published over you know 50 different you know studies and articles um tell us a little bit about what your lab is like and what you guys are looking at and and how you um How's that going to kind of add to our knowledge base? And what, and what oh, we can thanks. Do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Smart Lab, again, uh, uh, it's a collaborative kind of endeavor, uh, the sports medicine assessment research and testing lab. Uh, so uh, uh, my colleague Shane Caswell and I founded it about uh, 50, 14 years ago now there when uh, I joined in and, and we've added colleagues and faculty members. So we have about five to six faculty members who are primarily working uh, full time with the lab. And really when we define what we overall do, it's... Uh, 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 performance improvement and injury prevention across the lifespan, right? In physically active populations is what we do. So uh, specifically what I do is, as, I, as I'm sure you, that's what we're talking about this, yeah. right? Performing arts medicine and dance medicine. And what uh, uh, in, in the recent past, what we've been trying to figure out is a quality of life, right? So what is the really patient wanting to get out of maintaining the career for a long period of time right so uh, when we started and when i was in doctoral school i did some emg 3d biomechanics work with dancers and basketball players and that was great and i still do some of that but that was just one component and so now as i've kind of matured as an academic and a researcher recognizing it's a multi-dimensional construct you need to look at overall quality of life what's the patient feeling so we've We've done some work with biosensors and we're looking at physical demands during dance. Uh, we are we're looking at dance as a form of health therapy uh, and exercise in older adults. Uh, we are looking at dance as a form for decreasing uh, uh, obesity risk in middle school children. Right, So we're, we're really kind of trying to think about this concept of health for arts and healthy artists. I love that. Right? So and just so the, the idea that you're not just taking care of dancers you're you're taking dance and applying it to you know yeah exactly i mean it's a win-win situation the, the well-being on being of others that's e great exactly and and then i think that's what really has helped us to make it a success because we've we tried to uh, try to show how it can benefit you know the bigger community right and, and i think as athletic trainers i think that's really be, been really helpful because now we are not just talking to one segment of the physically active right we're talking to anybody who can move or who should be able to move and if you move there is inherent risk of injury and that's where 
hello, we come to the rescue, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, and you, I mean, you gave some great examples yesterday morning of just, you know, the physical demands that are on these performers. I mean, it's, it's not a, anybody who's even has the most superficial experience, you know, watching So You Think You Can Dance or something like that. I mean, it's a, a very clear picture of um, the physical demands on these these athletes. Um, yep. It's anybody who's been to a Cirque du Soleil show. Um I remember uh, Misty May Trainer, the uh-huh, Olympic volleyball sure. player. Didn't she tear her Achilles yes. on uh, <laughs> on Dancing with the Stars? So I mean, come on, this is, these, this these is guys—they need work. our help. It is a good thing that you are there. Um, so okay. obviously, you've got like a you know super cool you know lab. Sure, sure. Um, what would you recommend for um, either maybe a, a small like arts college or a high school that has like I'm you know I'm from Texas, so we have drill team, color guard, um, you know, lots of those performing sure. arts, and we'll have some interactions with those guys, but you know. Somebody who wanted to start kind of a basic um, program that was dance uh, performance specific. Mm-hmm. What would you sort of recommend? Is there equipment that you think they need? Space? Like, what's any any, any suggestions for a starter? Yeah, kit? sure. So, so, so as I said, right? I mean, uh, 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 oftentimes it's it's just the buy-in is more more important than the actual physical space, right? They the 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 dancer or the performing artist, the color guard, marching band, cheer, right? Yep. They need to buy into you as the healthcare provider, right? So uh, as we were sharing earlier today, I started with, uh, when we started at Greensboro, uh, it was one corner of a room, right? And when we started in Mason, it was again a small room. And so uh, 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 Jenna Hansen Honeycutt, who's, who's the head athletic trainer who takes care of the dancers, now we have an office for her to sit in and there's a big space. So I think from a basic perspective, it's really not when you think about uh, a, a high school athletic trainer who may or may not have a whole lot of space and a whole lot of budget. You can really start with very minimal equipment and supply. The the key is to be able to recognize what these people do and understand where their physical demands are going to lead them to a path of you know injury or pain or not. And also, what we some of the equipment that we have used that seems to work. Uh, a Pilates reformer machine is oh, something yeah. that is that that helps. But again, that's that's a relatively higher ticket item. It's not a necessity. Uh, one thing that minimally I think would be helpful is a, is a full length mirror so that they can kind of get that instantaneous feedback when that you ex- rehabilitate. That aesthetic pieces. Exactly. You know, that, yeah. So yeah. Exactly. Because because when we give them. And, and usually, usually they are m- much more aware of their bodies in space, right? Because they've got to maintain their bodies in space. And so having that mirror visual feedback, uh, so minimally, right? And it's not ex- expensive. You can pick, go to more Walmart and pick a mirror up. Absolutely. Right? So, so even that much uh, would be, I think, something that would really help. And then the standard basic athletic training equipment uh, from an injury care perspective is a great place to just start with. Cool. Um Okay, and so I'm a, anybody who's listened to this or at least heard me on this knows I'm a, I'm a concussion nerd. That's what I do. That's, mm-hmm. that's my day job. Um, you <laughs> briefly kind of touched on concussion. Um, just a, can you, just even maybe just for my benefit, the quickest spiel on return to activity for performing arts. Uh, any special considerations that we should know about? Uh, so there is, we still work at the IADAM cell, which is the International Association. We are still trying to develop a consensus statement and we are not there yet, right? But but generally, we, when we talk about uh, athletics, we have this return to play. And if you're talking about academics, we have the return to learn piece, right? But when we are talking about dancers and performing artists, similarly, there is a return to learn how to do these things back. Uh, yeah, so, so what we, so what, we are not there to, I mean, there is no simple answer that, that that's there at this point. But what we are trying to see is 
each dance class has like a warm up place where warm up start and then they go into class and then they cool down so uh, what we try to do is again the same same thing that we do the athletics with the scat and you know you kind of go down the che- symptom checklist but they can at least start sitting on the side of the class uh, and start ge- you know gradually return to kind of play but return to return to dance uh, and and just do the warm up uh, when they are symptom free two days and then then follow the relatively similar uh, return to play protocol that we would do for athletics the good thing or the bad thing and i'll tell this where i'm going with this is uh, we know from an athletics perspective that uh, uh, most of well, i shouldn't say most a large percentage of the uh, injuries occur during gameplay where there is unexpected uh, right. uh, reactions right. uh, uh, which is uh, which is the opposite in dance where once you once you exactly right so the unexpected part is when you are actually training for it so uh, some of the trends and and hopefully we'll we'll see this what the, some of the trends uh, that we are finding even with injury risk right we are finding that because there more ex- unexpected movement happened during practice that seems to be at high risk as compared to the actual performance oh, wow. which is the reverse from when you think about Absolutely athletics right. yeah the, uh, the the unpredictability comes exactly. from the inexperience with the routine the sorting it out the, exactly. the, the clearing um, the motor pattern yeah. before you actually do it yeah and so that's i think a very fascinating kind of twist around from the athletics perspective that i didn't think about that that closed loop environment and so recognizing that that is that is the place for our return to play protocol to be enacted and not the performance okay. itself So and I'm going to put a clock on myself yeah. so I don't get lost in concussion <laughs> corner for too long but I just because uh, this is sort of my thing. You know the the trend in general and there was you know some obviously really great talks on this um at the the uh yep. the main session today. Um that early returned activity getting that started as quickly as possible. Um I think about this a lot with dance in the terms of um when they're being forced to sit out if they can't tolerate the rehearsal environment whether it be because of noise or just maybe us being too protective they're not just missing out on that um physical piece but the but the learning of the routines mm-hmm. and that sort of thing so that seems like something else that would be tricky to balance out as part of your um as part of your protocol the the cognitive part do, do you ever have you ever had a dancer that has issues with that piece like memorizing things or keeping up with whatever you know as they're you know trying to uh recover from a from a head injury yeah yeah and so I, i yes short answer is yes and so we are not there with the numbers for me to kind of put my you know evidence based research hat down yet uh but i'm just trying to give you at uh, no. ideas that <laughs> no 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 thanks some, yeah. you know that's that's what we yeah we learn from each other right we think and learn i think so what but what we are recognizing is that that mental piece and and there is clear evidence that suggests that uh when when people think about dance and perform and rehearse a dance in their mind mm. and or they listen Mental to reps, a performance exactly absolutely. and so that that really activates the the motor cortex as not motor cortex the memory cortex in the brain and so uh just trying to when we talk about this concept of cognitive rest you got to make sure that you give that too because if she or he the dancer whoever is injured is still mentally thinking about the dance in their brain it's not really cognitive rest from that perspective and so just making them aware that if you are really resting try to do something else which is not going to directly then overtax your system and that seems to be hopefully creating a much better uh, return to activity faster return to activity uh, for those for those artists cool. i mean other stuff i'd always be interested in is just you know again if we're letting them do that kind of exercise that sub threshold um sub mm-hmm. sub threshold exercise to tolerance if you're talking about a dancer 
you know, is it okay to incorporate turns? Is it okay to incorporate leaps? All that kind of stuff. Do they have a vestibular injury? Is there is there a <laughs> no, visual yeah. component? So all that kind Ideas, of stuff. Ideas, right? So Bo- I can't <laughs> wait to read your paper on that. Uh, I really look forward to that. Yeah. Um, just a couple of last things I wanted to ask you here. Any take-home points, you know, because I, I think this will hopefully speak to a lot of people who are either, um, you know, being given a, a, a dancers that they need to work with are interested in the performing arts. It's a, it's a, obviously a growing area in our profession, but then there's sure going to be a, a bunch of our listeners who are, might not have that many opportunities to work with mm-hmm. a dancer. But again, your talk and these conversations have really sort of changed my perspective on, on lots of different ways of even how Thank we view you. athletes. Yeah. Do you have any other, any other just kind of take home thing, things that you didn't think about before you worked with performing artists that now you feel like you could apply to, to, to any athlete that you work with yeah so 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 i think i think again a couple of things right so i'll answer a couple of things this is the first thing I, I, i'll talk about and uh, when i think about performing arts medicine where it is where it was and where it will be right i think about secondary school athletic training right 20 years ago 25 years ago it was a rarity and now it's the norm right and and part of it happened because of the effort of several dedicated athletic trainers several of whom are around these halls um but it's really uh, uh, recognizing that there is a need for healthcare for these people and making them aware of the need of healthcare, and and that's what we are trying to hopefully do, and which is what was the share consortium that I was talking about that we are trying to establish uh, uh, that that they need to be aware of the need for healthcare, and once you find the need, then you go to the school board if it's classroom. Uh, and and get the community support to kind of do that, right? And, and again, it sounds preachy, but it is preachy, and it doesn't happen overnight. And you just gotta keep keep hammering the message that these people are like taking your kids to the swimming pool and not having a lifeguard there, right? And so they're they're working out, they're gonna get ex- they're gonna get tired, they're gonna get hurt themselves. And you really need somebody to take care of them. And once that message passes across, it really helps them. And then uh, on the uh, the other side, from what we've learned from athletics, from from performing artists and bringing that into athletics, is this concept of uh, really really thinking about how to speak their language, right? Uh, listening to them because oftentimes, and I I'm 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 gonna face I was guilty. I still am guilty sometimes, and we reduce our patients to a knee. Or an ankle, right? And and so yeah, uh, we all gotta so quit doing that. <laughs> the, me- the media does it. And we need to quit exactly, doing that. Let's all right? Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think recognizing that that just that that's a big per- bigger perspective or a holistic perspective, and and that I've, I've I've learned from them that that that's a bigger component that we kind of sometimes get tunnel vision because of the volume, maybe or there's multiple other factors, but recognizing that that the whole whole perspective and how they fit into the team if they are taken away right that piece we sometimes forget that just keeping them away or not keeping them away but still letting them be around the team is something that really helps recovery pattern they may not participate but is there around that social isolation decreases and and so that's something that i think i've learned from from working with this population that hopefully we as athletic trainers can also use in other uh, quote-unquote traditional athletic populations yeah i think you know dancer is definitely performer artist is is an identity that is just as strong in somebody as just about anything else that they yep. could that they could relate <laughs> themselves to so Absolutely. um thinking of them in that in that kind of holistic way treating like you know the heart and the mind is, is, <laughs> and, and the body is is a big deal and i could see working with 
performers who probably have a lot of feelings, you know, was, mm -hmm. it could be really beneficial for that. Yeah. Um, so last question, speaking of uh, dancing as an identity, um, Jatin, do you dance? What, what is, what is your, what is your, what is your <laughs> oh dance God. of choice? <laughs> I feel like you did. I feel like I could see, uh, I feel I, like I, I could see I'm, this. I'm, I'm, I'm a dancer at weddings. There you go. Uh, you're people a Cuban shuffle guy? Are you a wobble guy? Are you a Listen, I'll flow with whatever the music excellent, is, right? Excellent. <laughs> Nobody else might enjoy it. And my wife definitely not. My kids I've seen pictures from your wedding, Jatin. I, I know there was dancing no, there. No, but and, 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 and I think I'm glad you asked that because when we talk about dance, uh, it's, it's, it's associated with fun. It's associated with community. It's associated with everybody getting together and not having that judgment occur, right? I mean, I may look silly when I do a silly electric slide at a wedding, but... I'm having fun. I'm moving. I'm expending calories and I'm being healthy, right? And so all I think <laughs> all good thing exactly. And so that's another part that I've really enjoyed in that okay, uh, not everybody needs to be a good performer to do the do, right? So as an athlete, you really need to be able to hit the ball or you know make that shot. As a dancer, you just got to move. You just got to move and it should come naturally and that helps everybody including yourself. Well, and on that note, he, uh, me and Jatin, we have to, it's about that time that we scamper off to our UNCG alumni party. There may or may not be dancing there. We'll see if maybe we can get something going. Uh-oh. Um, but, wow, just thank you so much for taking the time to do this. No. Thank you to Jeremy for uh, allowing me to, to take over once again uh, for a little bit um, uh, and nerd out on his, on his podcast. I obviously appreciate that opportunity. This has been the Sports Medicine Broadcast here at NATA 2019 in Las Vegas. Um, that website, once again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Jatin, J-A-T-I-N. Thanks again, Jatin. Thank you so let's, much for let's, having let's, me. Let's, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. <laughs>